0: the missional adventure podcast telling inspirational stories of Baptists embracing adventure in the mission of God. This is the ninth episode of the missional adventure podcast. Nick Graves, minister of Old Lodge Lane Baptist Church in the busy and diverse area of Purley, Croydon chats about the transformation the church has been on over the last 10 years moving from a sunday-centric model of church in order to become a more community-focused congregation we'd also love to hear your own stories of missional adventure visit our new facebook page by typing in missional adventure or post on social media with the hashtag missional adventure and we'll pick it up and be in touch
1: Well, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Missional Adventure Podcasts. I'm Susie, and with me today is Nick Graves. Hello, Nick. Hi Susie. Hi, welcome. So it's great to be chatting with you today. We're going to be hearing a little bit more about your journey and what's been happening at Old Lodge Lane Baptist Church. But I just wondered if perhaps you could start us off by telling everybody where you are exactly in the country and just a a brief, brief context as to what your role is, what your job is and what's happening in particular at
2: Old Lodge Lane. Pearlie is in South Croydon although they don't like to think of themselves as South Croydon because they like to think of themselves as leafy suburbia but the fact of the matter is we're in South Croydon we're one of two Baptist churches in Pearlie one is large and is in the centre of Pearlie we're the other one we're not the large one (laughs) we're a small Baptist church we're on home mission Pearlie's a bit of a it it is leafy suburbia but where the church is is an anomaly on the towards the left of the church we have houses that are worth half a million upwards and then opposite the church are council flats where people have nothing so they drive past the Ferraris and Bentleys to on the bus to get to their house on the estate so that's the estate that we serve and I have done now for 10 years.
1: Years there, wow, it sounds quite a unique context in that, in, in that sense. And you're, you're obviously full time minister there at the moment. I know that the church has been, you said, on a bit of a journey over the last 10 years a journey of, of change, of, of transformation, would you say?
2: Yeah, most definitely. So, when I when the church that I arrived to was very uh, different from what it is now, it was a very traditional church just did things in the way that maybe they have done for for many years very centered on Sunday without really very much happening during the week and I think that when I came to the church one of the things that God said to me was that he said I haven't called you just to pastor the people who are there here on Sunday I've called you to pastor the whole community one of the one of the things that we often say at the church now is that everybody in our community is considered to be a member of our church whether they attend on sunday or not so when people ask me how big my church is i say it's about 1500 to 2000 people people's reactions vary when you say that but but i'm serious when i when i say that when i consider everybody in our community whether they're of the Christian faith, of no faith, of another faith, we consider them to be a part of our church. That's really driven the way that we interact with the community as a church.
1: That's great. You said there that you've, you've journeyed from becoming less Sunday-centric, shall we, shall we uh, yeah. say, and uh, I wonder if you could uh, perhaps explain to listeners a few, few of the ways, practical ways, that's happened now, what things are, are happening that have en- enabled the church to connect with the community. I presume they've taken some time to build up these relationships. Is there perhaps one or two things in particular that stand out though?
2: I would say right from the very beginning that I think our current model of church is broken.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's out of date I think that if what we did as churches on a Sunday really scratched where the people in our communities are itching, then our church services would all be full and they're not. And I don't think that's because our communities are spiritually dead our spiritual our communities are not spiritually dead they're they're alive and people are searching they're asking massive questions but when they look at the church sometimes i think they see an outdated model that has no relevance to them whatsoever so this caused me to ask some big questions so if people are not coming to church or if they do come to church they only stay for a little while and and leave frankly sometimes because they're bored. So what can we do? How can we change things? And that's really caused me over the last 10 years to think very seriously out of the box. I've tried changing our Sunday services. I've tried to do all sorts of things, but you're faced with a lot of things there. And I guess many uh, ministers in the same position as I am, will agree with that, you know, half of the people want to change, half don't, you know, because this is something that they've had for many, many years. So I just decided, you know what, blow it. I'm just going to do something separate. It's still going to be part of the church, but if I can't change Sunday, I'm going to start something that I can just reimagine right from the ground upwards. So I spent some time studying and started to consider You know what makes church church in a sense what would be the ecclesial minimum and i came to the conclusion that a church according to scripture needs to be a place where god's word is is preached and taught it needs to be a place where people worship together a place where people pray together a place where the the sacraments are shared and observed and also a place of community i think that's particularly important for us as a church so I then having that baseline decided that I would try and think really really hard outside of the box about how can we create something that is theologically church that doesn't look anything like what we have on a Sunday which is when I came up with the idea of something I call Thursday tea it's it's a church and we actively refer to it as church. When I read scripture, I see the importance of food, of eating a meal together. I think of you know, Jesus' first miracle done at a wedding feast in Cana. I think about Jesus being criticized for sitting and eating and drinking with the, with the tax collectors and the sinners. I think about what the Bible tells us that we're gonna do when Jesus returns is we're gonna eat at a wedding feast. With God. So clearly, there's something important about the act of eating together. There's something that, that brings us together with God in that act. So I decided that I would launch something called Thursday Tea. It's, it's a good northern phrase, tea. The southerners didn't quite understand it to begin with, but <laughs> <It's coughs> I think they caught on. It's not a cup of tea, <laughs> yes. <then. laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I told the church on Sunday, I said, this is what's going to happen. I'm having this every two weeks on a Thursday, but none of you are invited. You're actually not allowed to come because if you come, it's just going to become another Sunday church activity full of church people. And the idea is that this is not full of established Sunday church people. This is people that we know from the community being invited invited into a new expression of church. So I invited six people on a Thursday evening and I was very clear with them that I wasn't providing the food. I would provide my fair share of the food. I said, I'm, I'm going to roast a chicken if someone else can bring some potatoes and vegetables, someone else brings some dessert, that sort of thing. And if you can all turn up a little bit early and help cook it and lay the table, then we'll sit down and eat this meal together because I think there's something very important that that I wanted people to understand right from the very beginning was that this wasn't something that the established church was putting on for them that they should be grateful that we've done for them this is something about us saying we want to invite you to come and let's do something together and I think that that's really important it's not something that we as churches historically have always got right And I think it's a balance of power that needed to be readdressed. So people came, six people came and we cooked this meal together and we told our stories. We had a bit of a discussion around, we started looking at the Beatitudes, I think, and I said, you know, what do you think this means? Then we took prayer requests at the end. People came back the next fortnight, so they must have enjoyed it. Within a couple of months, we got to about 12 people attending because people would invite their friends or other people that they knew. And I thought, this is great. I've arrived. 12 people. Jesus started with 12 people. So this is, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. But God was very clear that he hadn't finished with us. And within, within a couple of months, we had 40 people a few weeks after that, we had 70 people, at which point I did have to go and eat humble pie with the church uh, on Sunday and say, okay, you can actually come because I really <laughs> need your help. <laughs> um, but people, um, people turn up and, um, and they all help set the tables out. They, everybody brings the food and we have different themes every two weeks. So we have, Jamaican night is always the favorite night. Um, the Jamaican ladies, largely in our community, go into overdrive and make sure that we all go home absolutely stuffed with jerk chicken, all that sort of thing, it, rice and peas It's just ah oh, delicious. We we get probably get about ninety people when it's um, Jamaican night, that's for sure. But everybody helps clear up. Everybody everybody does the washing up and clears the tables away. But There's no preach from the front. There's there's very little said from the front, actually, because what we're, I think that when people cook food, they go to the expense, they go to the time, they go to the effort. Actually, we're helping people to understand that that in itself is a response that you're making to God, is that God God has raised this meal up. You know, God has helped us set this up. And whether that people understand it at this point in time, actually, they're not drawn to... The act of community and meeting together actually are drawn to something that is much more profound, and they're drawn to God. So when they when they when they make this meal, actually, it's it's an act of worship. It's not a song or a reading, but actually, it's something very practical. When you when they help to set up the tables, when when they do the washing up, this again is is an act of community. It's an act of worship. We have three values at Thursday tea, eat, pray, love. It's got nothing to do with the book or the movie of the same title for copyright reasons. But they're the three elements. And, you know, we come together, we eat. But do you know what? We, we learn from each other. So we don't preach a sermon. But when you put 70 people into a room together, you learn very quickly about what it means to live in community. You know, we've experienced people don't often, people don't always get on. But actually, God's placed us in that position that we're able to put what Jesus says about community into really practical use and actually say, well, you know, let's consider this for a minute. You know, uh, God wants us all to work together. You know, we've had all sorts of amazing things happen where people have learned, sometimes the hard way. We had two people came up to us very early on saying, uh, Pastor, you need to know that there's drug dealing going on in the toilet. I was like, okay, so I, I I phoned our local police team and said, I've been told there's drug dealing going on in the toilets, what do I do? And he came down and he said, do you know what they're dealing? And we said, I've heard that it's, I've heard that it's crack. And he was like, it's pretty unlikely. They said, he brought some forensic swabs with him. And he said, I will wipe down the toilet seats and the sinks in all of your toilets. And if anybody's used crack there then it will turn blue and the minute that he swiped the whole thing turned bright blue and every single bathroom in the in the church turned bright blue and it was then that we knew that we had a bit of a problem so the next it was the 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 following sunday the police turned up at the end of the service and said to me i need to show you two photos do either of these people come to your thursday tea and i went yes actually they both come to our thursday tea and they said right he's just come out of jail for doing 15 years for manslaughter she's wanted by the police so can we set up a sting operation to take them in because he's violent and she's wanted at which point i said absolutely not (laughs) no way are you going to set up a sting operation i said but i will speak to them and i will ask them to give themselves up he was like there's no way they're going to give themselves up and he said, the police officer said, well, I'll give you 48 hours. Otherwise, we're going to be uh, giving them an early morning call with a battering ram. So we, we called them, we prayed and we called them together and we just talked to them about what had happened. And she just broke down in tears and said, I've been running and hiding for too long. And this is not what God wants me to do. So when you help me, we were able to walk with them into the police station where they gave themselves up. You know, if that's not learning, if that's not applying, you know, the, what God wants for us in, in action, but it all happened without a sermon, you know, I think that there are, there are times for preaching and, and, and stuff like that. But in, in our context at this present moment in time, they didn't need a sermon. They needed someone to walk the journey with them and speak truth into their lives. Yeah, we've had plenty of story. Actually, I think we've, we've helped four people give themselves up to the police in the last four years in our community.
1: It's incredible to to hear you say that. I mean, that kind of answers one of my other questions. Why do you think this approach that you've had is working in your context where you are? And I guess you've you've answered that there because I think I'd be right in saying the stories you've described there are just so far removed from perhaps inviting along to a Sunday morning service, or it, it would have never, that connection perhaps would never have even happened. had it it not been in such a radically different way where you'd had something as simple as a tea (laughs) together
2: but yeah
1: but but look
2: what it led to exactly and i I think the the, i think discipleship begins um the minute that we as followers of jesus encounter someone at that moment discipleship begins because i think uh, lawrence singlehurst says in his book uh, sowing reaping keeping Um, he talks about this. He says how discipleship is about moving people closer to Jesus, right? So, uh, and, and for some people that happens before they ever make a decision to follow Jesus. If you have the impression that you think all Christians are irrelevant, boring, and a bit of an idiot, because you've had a bad experience before. If I encounter you and, and I sit down and just have a meal with them and get to know them a little bit, at least they can go away and they've enjoyed that experience. At least they can go away and say, well, all Christians are idiots apart from Nick. He was okay. I've moved them from that position. I've moved them on, which is actually moving them closer to Jesus. And if every time I encounter them, it's actually moving them a little bit further and they say, actually what he says, he seems to really mean it. Well, that's moving them even a little bit closer to Jesus, because then the next question is, well, how does that apply to me? So I think that Thursday Tea is all about discipleship. You know, we've got people to, uh, who have given their lives to Jesus at Thursday Tea. Um, we have the immense privilege of baptising four young men at Thursday Tea. And um there was a big discussion in the church about whether that should happen on Sunday because that's when baptisms happen in good churches. I said, absolutely not, you know, they're not part of the Sunday church and they're never likely to be part of the Sunday church. So we're doing it on the Thursday. So we had a, a massive Mexican fiesta night. We all wore sombreros and we had a pinata and we had chili and nachos and all of that sort of thing and uh, amongst all of the mayhem once they'd finished the food and we were gonna have cake and we we showed the videos uh, of their testimonies and then we baptized them right in the middle of this Mexican fiesta people were coming up to me afterwards uh, for a few days afterwards saying pastor Nick I need to talk to you because when those men were being baptized I started to cry and I don't really understand what that was all about and what an amazing conversation to have about how you talk to someone about encountering the spirit of God at work in a place and making them ask questions. Just truly, truly exceptional. But, you know, that's been some highlights, but there's, you know, there's been some lowlights as well. The biggest low, uh, the the, the biggest low moment um, came was in August last year when I received a phone call early one morning from one of the young ladies who comes to Thursday Tea. So we have right from babies through to 90 year olds, but we have a lot of kind of teens and and in their early 20s. And some of them are involved in the gang culture locally and they sell drugs and get up to all sorts of things. One of the young ladies phoned me and said, Pastor Nick, Kai's dead. And it took me a while to kind of take that in. And, uh, Kai, Kai's dead. What happened? She said he got involved in a, in a knife fight in the town centre. Someone stabbed him through the heart and he's dead. That was just a horrendous moment to hear that because Kai's someone that I've known and got on very well with. And I like Kai. And I like Kai. He's, you know, he, Kai was trouble. There's no getting around that. He was taking drugs and selling drugs and, you know, could be difficult to deal with but I always found him easy to get along with and he would always help me take the tables down and move chairs around so um so I just spent the next two or three days just sitting on road road curbs with some of those young people and people who knew him Uh, one of the other mums who comes to Thursday tea she held Kai he died so I spent a long time with her and her whole house got cordoned off by the police because her son was involved as well and it was a crime scene it was just horrible and messy and very painful so the next time that we had Thursday tea because we have it every two weeks we decided that we would hold a a candlelit vigil for Kai and we would lead the community in in praying and asking God to bring healing and comfort to people and we would light candles as as a symbol of prayer and hope and God's spirit we had about 150 people turn up to that and and a lot of people in the community had very mixed feelings about kai because on one hand the tragedy of a 19 year old young man having his life cut short through murder but also they also knew that he caused them trouble and problems sold drugs and were around their kids so there was a lot of mixed feelings but actually God's presence was there in a really really amazing way and we were able just to just to bring God's comfort and love um, into that situation, and then a few weeks later, I had the privilege of doing Kai's funeral, uh, which was probably the most stressful day of my life, because uh, we had about four hundred people turn up to the funeral. The police had contacted me a couple of days before that, saying we're concerned because there's a, a very big gang element and the danger of reprisals, and a lot of the people who are turning up are known to be. Weapons carriers and, and stuff like that. We need to let you know that we're going to have two vans of riot police armed with tasers around the corner and we're also got an armed unit on standby Just round the corner from you and the gangs unit are going to be undercover in the community too We want you to check in with us every half every every half hour And um, we'll give you a code word if it all starts to go wrong. We'll be straight there. That was I mean there's enough to do in a funeral already without having to worry about armed police and riot police um, but you know what it went without a hitch apart from in the middle when we were saying the lord's prayer they all started a few of them stood up and started chanting highly to Lassie. that was probably a little bit of a bizarre moment um for me but um do you know what it was it was a very stressful day but God's presence was there and it was very very peaceful but that may also have had something to do with the significant amount of marijuana that was smoked. <laughs> not, <laughs>
1: not, for, not from yourself I think we need to. Not from myself but, but there, was, there was
2: definitely a very large cloud of marijuana yes. over the whole area. <laughs>
1: Just, just, um, do some clarity as to who was involved in in that.
2: <laughs> absolutely, let's let's clarify, let's clarify that one.
1: Oh, oh dear. I mean, um, it's it's quite, it, you know, it, it's mind blowing, but it's also what you're describing now. What's been what's been happening just from that going back to that original reflection of what church, the the minimums or the ecclesial minimums you said to mm-hmm. what what this looks like. But it's also, it's also life, isn't it? It's, it's real. Mm. So it sounds like there's a, a, a real in integrity and grittiness, obviously, to it with the, the normality of what this is for, for a lot of the people that you're encountering. Well, that's right. When you,
2: when you look at Jesus' ministry, you, you see that Jesus' ministry was gritty. It was down to earth. And he spent time with the people who needed him who realized that they needed him the most. And, you know, they were people involved in crime and, and all of that sort of thing. And, you know, the, there's, you know, not everybody in our community kind of has those same struggles, but, you know, if they know that, that God cares and they can see that practically through us, then you to have amazing, incredible conversations, conversations that you would never be able to have just by doing things the way that we've always done on a Sunday.
1: I think as as we kind of look ahead at what's what's coming up or, or things that have just just begun recently for you at Old Lodge Lane, I understand that you've well it has already begun a, a yeah. food another food based project but a different kind has has begun during this pandemic that we're in. I think I should probably explain for our listeners that we are recording this during the period of lockdown still. And you'd had a, a project already in the making with the council, I understand, and the food charity Fair Share, I think um, some of the listeners might be. That's right. And yeah. you've, had, you've brought it forward from when you'd planned to start it, though, is that correct? You'd planned to start it a bit later in the year, but you've actually brought it forward. Yeah,
2: that's right. Well, one of the things that's happened in recent times is that the council have started to be a lot more proactive in reaching out to us. And asking us to be involved in projects uh, that they want to do in partnership with us, uh, which has been wonderful because you know, 10 years ago the council wouldn't have touched a church with a barge pole. But now they're coming to us. So they said the director of Gateway Services came and sat down with me for a couple of hours and said, This is this project, we'd love you to be involved in a pilot scheme for this. So it involves partnering with fair share uh, getting food from fair share and uh, working with council gateway services who will then put frontline officers um, to work from the church a couple of days a week as people come in to access the shop so they get to 20 pounds worth of food for a subscription fee of three pounds 50 and just helping their money to go a little bit further but then they also get to interact with benefits teams and housing officers and employment and training and debt people. So the idea is, is, to, is to see transformation happen to these people who are perhaps you know, in need about saving tenancies and, and getting people employment and seeing them thrive, which are things that are very important to us as a church we'd been offered this opportunity to do that and what we didn't have was any volunteers or anybody to manage the project so we we said we would take some time to think about it. At the beginning of this year I went off a short period of sabbatical. Obviously COVID-19 happened and I had to cut my sabbatical short but when I came back I really got this strong impression from God that we couldn't stand here and do nothing and we had this project all ready to go but we had we'd even got funding to get the project off the ground, but what we didn't have was a project manager or volunteers, and so I spoke to my leadership team and said, "I really feel that this is what God is asking us to do, and so it's a great sort of way." Within within a week, somebody came forward and admitted to us that God had been speaking to them about being the project manager for some time now, but they hadn't spoken up. So they were they were willing to do that. You know, the the final thing that we asked God was like, "Will you give us some volunteers then?" Because we because in COVID-19, we can't have people just turning up to the shop. We're going to need to deliver to people. And that takes an awful lot of volunteers to do that. Within 24 hours, we had 35 volunteers from the community. We were just completely blown away. We're okay, God, you've made yourself clear. We'll do it. So the project went from standing, it went from concept to its first, its first delivery slot in two weeks. Wow which was amazing, <laughs> uh, exhausting, Yes,
1: yeah.
2: but amazing. Yes. But you know, our volunteers have just been incredible. And what we've discovered through this is that this is not just about getting food to needy people during COVID-19, although that's an important part of it. And it is part of the, the delight and the relief that we see in people's faces when we turn up with food. But actually what we're discovering, this is a lot more about helping the volunteers as well. Many people are at home, Feeling powerless or worried or concerned. Maybe they've been furloughed and they have nothing to do. But actually, the conversations that we're having with the volunteers are as profound as the conversations that we're having with the people who we're delivering food to. You know, one of our one of our guys, he must be he must be about 60, recently retired, lost his wife a couple of years ago. We were waiting for the food delivery come to come because we were waiting for 750 kilos of food to be delivered. And I don't know if you've ever seen seven hundred and fifty kilos of food. No, but it's a lot. My, my and um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's an enormous amount. We were waiting for it to be delivered, and the delivery was delayed. And I noticed that he had um he had a rest a red wristband on. And I said, "What's the wristband for?" Just trying to make conversation. And he said, "Oh, it was given to me as a blessing by a Buddhist monk when I was in Tibet." And uh, I'm like, so I said. So, um, you know, God just spoke to me at that moment and said, pursue this because I think there's something here. And I said, so are you a spiritual person then? And you know what? From that point on, we talked about, we talked for an hour and a half about God um, while we we're waiting for that delivery and just about the pain that he felt in his wife's loss and, you know, about how he felt about church in general. And it was just an absolutely amazing conversation that we were just able to have that would never have happened otherwise so the project is going to be an ongoing one so at the moment we're just delivering food out to people Um, although some people are coming into the shop in stages we're kind of 10-15 minute slots so we can stay uh, physically distanced uh, rather than socially distanced i hate that phrase we're not socially distanced we're physically distanced so yeah we're doing that and then the idea is that uh, once COVID-19 the lockdowns finished uh, the council are going to come and convert one of our rooms into a shop they're going to put shelves up uh, and stuff like that and that's when we'll be able to get the frontline service officers down but um, one of our volunteers came to me this morning with a bag of homemade face masks because um, we were running low on PPE and she said I've made these for you um, so that when you run out of PPE You can have these homemade face masks and she said um, I've got a sewing group of ladies um, And they're going to make every client that we have, which must be about 200 clients that we have um, I'm going to make every single one of them a face mask um, so that they can go out with a little bit of extra confidence. And I think, do you know, that's amazing. Only God can do something like that.
1: Yeah, incredible. Um,
2: in, in a setting like that.
1: It's incredible, it would uh, be really interesting to hear, you know, further down down the line, how, how that continues. And it's it's encouraging to hear mm. of something that was in the planning. Before all of um, the coronavirus struck and but yet you were still able and have still been able to to go ahead with it and, um, and it will still continue so that 's really exciting to hear about that and i 'm sure we'll'll we'll... Yeah hear more in the future i think as um, as we sadly have to to draw this to, to a close because it's been great great hearing from you and hearing these wonderful testimonies and th- this encouragement i wonder in conclusion it, perhaps if you do have any words of advice or encouragement that you would give to anyone or any churches who are considering similar Ventures to you guys or on a similar kind of journey, is there anything that you would just say an encouragement to them from what you've you've experienced and what you've been through?
2: I think the biggest piece of advice, I guess there's two first is don't limit God, don't limit him to what you know or have experienced this far, and because God is able to do far more than we can ever ask or imagine, and we need to take those words really seriously and the second piece of advice really never be afraid to think out of the box it's okay to think out of the box in fact dream really big dreams you know allow your imagination to to run riot you know maybe maybe nine out of ten of those dreams that you have will never see fruition but what if the one does and something incredible happens and you know that God's given us an imagination and excitement for a reason. These are God-given qualities that we as human beings have and he asks us to use it and um, I think that if uh, our church, the churches in the UK is going to flourish we are going to have to use our God-given imagination and inspiration and we just need to be open to be inspired by god and his holy spirit
1: amen to that nick thank you oh thank you so much thank you for your time today and thank you for sharing we'll be praying a blessing over you and and all old old lodge lane and we look forward to, to hearing more in the future from you as well so thank you nick
2: thank you
0: At the end of each episode, we want to point you in the direction of a resource that may be helpful in your mission and adventure, so keep listening for even more inspiration. Welcome to 72. 72 is about helping people take their next step in the mission of God. In Luke 10, Jesus appointed 72 believers and sent them on his mission to make disciples. He told them to go and share the news of the kingdom of God with others. At 72, we want to help people to take their next step to join in with God's mission in whatever setting God has called them to live. These biblical foundations are built on the understanding that we are called to live out the mission of God, shaped by the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God. 72 first emerged from a partnership of Baptist networks in the south and west of England and Wales. It's now a resource for the whole Baptist family and other Christians across England and Wales. It's a small operation, currently envisioned and administrated through the West of England Baptist Network, with regular collaboration with and support from Baptists across the Baptist Union. But what does taking your next step in the mission of God even look like? Well, it looks different for everyone and we want to help people to go at least one step further than they have so far and thus hopefully inspire them to take another. Our vision is to be a catalyst for a missional movement that sees more and more people going and sharing the good news of the kingdom, that good news being Jesus we recognise that going and sharing this wonderful news can be daunting. And so our aim is to resource, support and encourage church leadership teams and individuals to do this in a way that's right for them. For some, that may be taking the step to follow Jesus. For others, it's about their personal discipleship, getting to know Jesus better and seeing his life reflected in their own. Others are being called to ministry, whether in a voluntary or paid capacity. We want to help them and encourage them to take that step and to make the very best of it. Others still, either alone or as part of a church team, are in positions of leadership, positions of influence. And we want to help each one to be godly leaders who help others take their next step in God's mission. So how can people connect with 72? Well, you can connect through the 72 website, the 72 Facebook group and Twitter. People can connect with resources and information to inspire them and to be moved into action, taking that next step in the mission of God. People are also welcome to get in touch with us directly and we will help them or connect them with someone who can if it isn't us. We have learning communities of reimagine and forge. And we also encourage you to use the discipleship cycle, a simple tool, to help individuals and small groups to dwell in God's Word and become more and more like Jesus there. If you would find it helpful to have a conversation about 72, please contact us to arrange that. We'd love for you to be in touch. My name is Alex Drew, and you can contact me via Alex at 70-2.network or you can contact Nigel Coles via nigel at 70-2.network. We look forward to hearing from you and hearing how God is leading you to your next step in God's mission. The Missional Adventure podcasts have been made possible through funding provided by Baptists Together. The music is from the adventure, an original song written by Andy Flanagan and recorded by Matt Osgood. Editing of the podcast is by Emma Garner, and this has been a RiverTree Limited production.